police interrogations of a suspect can be the linchpin in securing a criminal conviction, which is why there is a push from criminal justice transparency advocates to ensure interactions with law enforcement are more widely documented. To that end, Democratic state lawmakers have proposed reforming when and what types of interviews by the police are required to be videotaped. And to discuss this proposal, as well as other potential changes to how police officers sometimes approach interrogations, we're joined on the Capitol Press Room by Kevin Stadelmeyer, the first deputy defender for Erie County's Assigned Counsel Programs Criminal Division, and is also the legislative committee chair for the New York State Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers. Welcome back to the show, Kevin. Good morning, David. Thank you. So, for starters, can you explain how significant a videotaped interrogation can be in the fate of a criminal defendant, either for helping exonerate them or potentially sealing their fate? Yes, I mean, it's it's one of these things that, you know, does cut both ways, but I think that everyone should agree anyway that seeing a videotaped interrogation, seeing the demeanor of the client, seeing the demeanor of the police can go a long way, either for the prosecution or the defense. As we've seen with the advent of body camera footage and things of that nature when we're talking about encounters with police, having that video is a really critical thing because it takes out some of the guesswork behind how the interaction happened. So if you've got a videotaped interrogation, you can see, especially if it starts from the beginning, as soon as they sit down in the room, you can see the police officer read Miranda. You can see the responses from the client. You can see the demeanor of the police officer, whether they're belligerent, whether they're you know, in any way violent or yelling or, or in any way pushing coercion onto the client. You can see how the answers come out, whether the client is being evasive, what is her, his or her body language looks like. And ultimately, those things can be incredibly persuasive in front of a jury one way or the other, depending on the demeanor of the client, the nature of the questioning, the, the demeanor uh, and posture of the police officer doing the questioning, and certainly, again, how long the interrogation lasts, how many times the same question is asked over and over again, and whatever promises are made by the police and whatever evidence, whether that be false or, or actually true evidence, is submitted. So, you know, there, there are a lot of factors that go into it, but actually seeing it happen rather than guessing as to what happened is really a critical piece. So under current laws and procedures, when are interrogations with law enforcement required to be filmed? So at this point, there's a very limited slice of cases in which they are required. There are A1 felonies, some Class B violent felonies, but for the most part, most cases are excluded. Most charges are excluded from interrogation. And even when there's an interrogation that's required under the section that that we're talking about, it's 6045 and 70.02, There are a list of exceptions under which the police do not have to record those, even if we're talking about those uh, level of felonies. So the incidents in which we're getting these videotaped confessions isn't what we'd like to see even under the current legislation. Well, legislation proposed by Democratic state lawmakers Julia Salazar and Latrice Walker would require recordings of interviews from start to finish, regardless of whether a person is technically in custody and ensures that an entire back and forth needs to be recorded, eliminating the potential uh, that uh, there could be opportunities for law enforcement to gain an upper hand off camera. Why should these types of changes be implemented? 
So, I mean, for all the reasons we just talked about, you know, taking the guesswork out, but you also have to understand that New York State is one of the leading states for exonerations because of false confessions in the nation. Something about 380 exonerations due to false confessions because of, you know, either DNA or, or anything else, but certainly there was a confession involved that, that turned out to be false. So, I mean, you would think that both the prosecution and the defense would be interested in having this piece of information at their disposal when they're you know, deciding to, to bring charges, when they're looking at what, what charges to actually take to trial. It's just a matter of fairness that you'd want this, this piece of information. And I'd like the bill that, that Julia Salazar and Latrice Walker are putting forward simply because it makes clear that every time someone is going to be accused or, or the officer has a reasonable belief that they're going to accuse somebody or charge somebody with a crime, they must record it. It takes out all of the exceptions that currently exist, which makes it clear that, hey, listen, if you're going to sit down and interrogate somebody, Miranda's not enough. You also have to get your video equipment going, and that's going to have to be turned over in the, in the course of discovery if the person is ultimately charged. And, and again, it, it's, it's one of these things of fundamental, fundamental fairness. Why wouldn't we want to see this? What are you hiding if you're not turning over a videotaped interrogation? What are you hiding if you're claiming that the equipment didn't work? You know, what are you hiding if you're saying that we didn't have an obligation to do it, so we decided not to? If you are that secure in the idea that you're going to charge somebody with a criminal offense, which again is a you know a monumental thing in most people's life, why wouldn't you want to be completely above board in that? Why wouldn't you want to say we have the the goods on this person, and now we're going to confront them with it, and we're going to see what their what their answers are, and ultimately that might become a, a critical piece of evidence in the case. To do it any other way, I think just you know it speaks to the secrecy. Of of law enforcement. It speaks to the idea that they know a lot of times they're simply fishing and, and ultimately they might spend hours and hours and hours going at a suspect until they finally, you know, relent and break because that's simply biology. I think having this piece of information is, is just a, a critical thing. And I think everyone would agree that fairness would dictate that you have it. Well, for listeners just joining us, you're listening to the Capitol Press Room, and we're speaking with Kevin Stadelmeyer, the first deputy defender for Erie County's assigned counsel program, criminal division. So obviously in a perfect world where police are inclined to think someone is going to be a suspect, it's understandable that they should be recording from A to Z if that's how they're approaching someone as the potential defendant in a case. But are there exceptions that are needed in reality, in the actual give and take of prosecuting and trying to catch criminals? I mean, I suppose yes, but if you're bringing somebody in to question them in relation to an offense, if you've targeted an individual, even if you haven't charged them yet, but you know why you're bringing them in. You know you're bringing them in not to talk to them about being a witness, not to talk about them being a cooperator. You're actually looking at them as a target. At that point, regardless of whether you've charged them, the information that you're about to gather is going to be useful to you in pursuing that investigation, or else why do it at all? If, if you want to you know, lay an exception, you can say if you bring somebody in for an investigation and you're not planning on charging them at the time, but by virtue of that conversation, things come you know, out that might eventually lead you to believe that they committed a crime that you might want to investigate them for it, simply exclude any of that information that you get. You can't you know, divulge any of it. You can't use any of it. There would have to be some sort of exclusion that would be put in place with this. I mean, certainly we don't want to limit law enforcement from investigating offenses. That's what their job is. It's an important role. Anyone would agree. But we do have to have some guardrails against what currently goes on, which are sometimes 
unconstitutional, endless, coercive interrogations that end up resulting in false confessions. If I'm a small police department and we have maybe two people being interviewed at the same time, is there potentially a capacity issue when it comes to video recordings? And if issues like that do arise, should there be exceptions for those types of extenuating circumstances? You know, I I like to think in this day and age that the the technology has gotten to the point where the cost of purchasing this equipment and the cost of maintaining it isn't a huge burden on any police department. And, you know, I also like to weigh the, the cost of that equipment against the constitutional rights of the person that you're interrogating and the idea that if they make a false confession on a serious case or even a non-serious case, they might result in a, in a conviction that could have you know some very serious and negative long-term ramifications on their life. I tend to think that those concerns should go by the wayside. Purchasing equipment to do video isn't all that expensive these days. It's a matter of getting a camera or a webcam. You can do any number of of methods by which to record the, the, the confession for later disclosure on discovery. So I think weighing the concerns, costs on small departments, capacity on small departments against the constitutional rights of the people that they're interrogating. Uh, I don't think that's a fair balancing. I think it definitely goes the way of the client. So you're okay if, in the situation I described, law enforcement simply sets up what an iPhone to try to record things? Because it seems like everybody's got a video recording device in their pocket these days. I'm not sure exactly what um, Senator Salazar and, and Assemblywoman Walker are, are envisioning when they're talking about um, what type of video equipment, but I believe anything that, that you can see both participants, you can hear everything that starts you know, at the beginning and goes until the end uh, and can be later saved and, and transmitted to the other party and to the prosecution, I think that's going to qualify. So anything in that realm would probably work. And They're not looking to, to mandate that they purchase thousands of dollars worth of equipment. Well, staying with the interrogation process, you're also backing legislation designed to limit future false confessions by addressing certain deceptive practices used by police. What are the behaviors you're hoping to limit? So, you know, the bill that you're talking about is um, Senate 2303. It's sponsored by Senator Myrie, and it has the same as in the Assembly 1156, sponsored by by Assembly um, person Bannel. It it basically limits the ability of the police to either – present fabricated evidence or to lie to persons they're interrogating in the course of the interrogation because the current law and you know you, you can go back and look at law and order you can you can take a look at any tv show police do lie to suspects they do present false evidence to get them to try it or to coerce a confession to get information out of them that they otherwise wouldn't have um and, and that is currently allowed under new york state law there, there's a great scene in a movie called la confidential which you may have may or may not have seen where they've got multiple persons being interrogated in multiple different rooms, and the police are lying to the suspects about what their co-defendants are saying. That's not too far from reality. That does happen. Um, Police often will tell a suspect, hey, your co-defendants already rolled on you. Um, We already have this information. We've already pulled DNA from you, and the DNA is coming back that your DNA is on this gun. Hey, we we got you on video um, committing this robbery. You know, you don't know this. I mean, if if you're just a dumb kid or, or really anybody, Um, Being involved in a situation like that and a police officer is coming at you with that information in the same vein saying, just tell us what we want to know. We're going to let you go home. We're going to call your parents. You're going to get to go back to school tomorrow. Just tell us what we want to know and everything will go away. We'll go talk to the DA on your behalf. We'll advocate for you. 
These are things that happen on a regular basis, and they often do result in false confessions. So limiting the ability of the police to put something in front of a suspect that is completely untrue or to provide them information uh, or lie to them and, and, and give them false information in an effort to try and coerce a confession um, is something that we're looking to do away with. And the bill by Senator Myrie and Assembly uh, Person Vanel does that exact thing. From your perspective, though, is there ever a situation where the ends can justify the means? I mean, you're talking about this in the context of false confessions, but what if this is done to obtain information that might save someone's life or bring someone to justice who has committed uh, a number of crimes? If I take off my defense hat, certainly maybe that that has merit. But when we're talking about somebody who has um, not yet been convicted of a crime and you have police officers who are looking to coerce a confession, um, I, I don't ever really think the ends justify the means because maybe for every one person you get using those tactics, you're sweeping up hundreds of people who have, who have not done the things that they're being accused of doing or at least not have done the things um, to the extent that the police are, are proposing to charge them with. Um, u- using those tactics to try and you know coerce confessions, I-, I think we're just sweeping up too many people. So no, I-, I would have to I would have to say that the ends don't justify the means. Well, we've been speaking with Kevin Stadelmeyer. He is the first deputy defender for Erie County's Assigned Counsel Programs Criminal Division. He's also the legislative committee chair for the New York State Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers. And I look forward to recording a rewatchable podcast with him in the future on the 1997 classic that is L.A. Confidential. <laughs> Kevin, thank you so much for making the time. You're welcome, David. Thanks very much. And anytime on L.A. LA Confidential, it's one of my favorites. Support for the Capitol Press Room provided by the New York State AFL-CIO, a federation of 3,000 unions fighting for working people by keeping New York State union strong. Visit unionstrongny.org for more information. Join us again for Capitol Press Room, a production of WCNY Connected, Syracuse.